Hey folks, I'm Jeremy. And I'm John. And we are Poemcast. Breathing life into pulmonary and critical care core content. Here at Poemcast, we believe in a brain-protected strategy, delivering information at 6 megabytes per kg. Y'all are so nerdy. <laughs> so take a deep breath. <sighs> we are diving in. Oh, that terrible. No. Hey there, and welcome to Poemcast. This is the first of many Train the Trainer episodes, and our goal here is to grow your skills as a medical educator. We've had countless trainees shuttle through our program over the past several years. This process has forced several of our veteran clinicians to become excellent educators by the sheer volume of education they have been asked to do. We're a private practice with little to no exposure to formal medical education theory, so we kind of figured things out as we went, which is good and bad. Over time, we have refined our processes and began paying attention to med-ed thought leaders and fine-tuned our practice even more based on their teachings and our experience. Several years ago, our team was asked to create a unified critical care team across several different hospitals, essentially from scratch. And again, we're not a teaching facility, so we don't have any residents, we don't have any fellows, but what we do have is a good mix of critical care physicians and critical care advanced practice providers, or APPs. During our expansion, I think we've developed what I believe is one of the best critical care APP training programs in the country. We now have a sort of hybrid teaching facility model with a long training program for our new APPs that is essentially a one-year residency crammed into six months. But we don't want to focus on the APP aspect of that, but we probably will in a future episode down the road. So while our program grew and great educators were born out of necessity, something else happened too. Some members of our team eventually got burned out. And I think this happened because we tasked a very small number of people with the great responsibility of educating basically an entire system. And I think this targets you to visit our upcoming episode on burnout. But where we find ourselves now is the need to expand our educator base and essentially train new trainers. We thought this was a perfect opportunity to dive into how to be a good educator and make a whole series about it. Both of us have worked on bettering ourselves in med ed over the last several years, and like most of our listeners, have no formal training specifically on how to provide good education. One of the most common things that we hear when we ask people if they're interested in helping with education is, uh, I don't think I'm cut out for it because I'm not a good lecturer. It's an interesting response. People associate being an educator with being able to wax poetically about sepsis for an hour on the spot or even <gasps> hyponatremia. And that's really not what it's all about. In fact, if all the clinician can do is what we're going to talk about today, then I would challenge that they are on their way to being an excellent educator. And a great place to start is at the bedside. Full disclosure, this episode is inspired and adapted from material by Jonathan Sherbino from the Key Lime podcast and the IceNet Royal College blog. I went to a workshop of his at Smack Chicago a few years ago and immediately adopted this into my practice, and I pushed it to others on our team. Links to all his stuff are in the show notes. Please review his material as well. He is a master educator and states this much more eloquently than I ever could. That is without a doubt. 
Hey, man, I've been working on my podcast presence. <laughs> so we all know the great William Osler, the founder of modern medicine. He was one of the founders of John Hopkins Hospital and created the first residency program for physicians. He's also the most quotable person in the history of medicine with greats such as, listen to your patient. He is telling you the diagnosis. He believed so importantly in the bedside teaching model that he said, I desire no epitaph than the statement that I taught medical students in the wards, as I regard this as by far the most useful and important work that I have been called upon to do. I think you changed your voice a little bit when you read that. Hey, you cannot quote Osler without changing your voice. Jonathan Sherbino suggests using an adapted five-step microskills model for clinical teaching. Originally published by Nearer in 1992, the model includes, number one, get a commitment, then probe for supporting evidence, number three, reinforce what was done well, then give guidance about errors and omissions, and finally, teach a general principle. So let's talk about this for a few minutes. In our own practice, the good educators make the learner make a commitment. They don't provide them the answer immediately, even though there's sometimes a temptation to do so, right? We want to teach them the correct answer, and we want to teach them why that's the answer. And what we found is that the learner actually learns far more when they choose an answer and have some skin in the game. A novice educator thinks the learner needs to be taught everything, but in actuality, they should be reading about things on their own time in self-directed learning and using their shifts to focus on applying that knowledge to the patient. The great educators on our team don't stop there. They ask the learner why. Why did you choose that diagnosis? A learner who can defend their reasoning, even if they're dead wrong, is more advanced than the learner who arrived at the right answer but has no idea or can't support why they arrived there. And lastly, something we want our team to do a better job of is pick one thing they missed or need further education on and focus on that thing for one minute. Don't try to teach them the entirety of the history of sepsis. Perhaps focus on CVP or some other smaller aspect of the disease they can wrap their minds around quickly. The initial reaction to such a short teaching session is often doubt. After all, how can trainees learn enough in such short snippets? I think the answer to that question is that these snippets build up. It's much more doable in a busy clinical shift like we often experience in the hospital. It's less daunting to the educator to spend a minute talking about something briefly after each patient, which means it's going to happen a lot more reliably. Right, because the tendency is to want to formally sit down and take time to review notes one by one, or maybe give a half hour or hour long lecture. But a lot of days, this perfect hour window to get education done isn't there. In our afternoons, we uh, find that we get a ton of admissions and consults, patients come out of surgery, and then we have to do procedures and we have family meetings, the list goes on. As you can imagine, that makes finding time for a formal lecture truly challenging. While formal lectures certainly have their place, if you did some bedside rounding with some one-minute teaching sessions in the morning, their learner won't leave that shift with nothing if the formal lecture doesn't happen in the afternoon. Right, so putting off education until there's a golden hour can sometimes force the educator and the learner to stay late to review the notes that they had intended to and talk about performance, and doing this consistently can lead to burnout. A much better way to do note review is to have the learner come find you after each patient 
and bundle it into your bedside teaching. Have them present the patient and give their plan. Follow the model we've presented today, including the one-minute teaching session, and then review their note. Do a high-level note review focusing on making sure their assessment and plan is adequate and the proper orders are in for the patient. And again, if later in the day, by some miracle, the admissions and consults and procedures are slow and you have time to do a more formal critique, then do it. Jonathan Sherbino took the five microscale model and uses the ED-STAT method in his busy emergency department, which is E stands for expectations, D, diagnose the learner, S is for setup, T is for teach, A is for assess and give feedback, and the final T is for teacher always. I really like this acronym, and it has some key elements that are important for all of us who want to become better educators. So first off, establish expectations. So to help our learner on a given shift, we really need to know where they are. So ask them, at the start of the shift, how many patients do they normally see? What things do they think that they need to work on? Are they seeing uh, new patients and want to focus on that? Or do they want to focus on developing a good assessment and plan? Do they want to work on procedures or managing actively decompensating patients? Or are they brand new and know nothing and just kind of need to feel stuff out? If you don't establish the expectations early, then you essentially waste your first day while you get acclimated to their needs. In our shift structure of limited continuity, they rotate educators too frequently to waste the first day with each educator. And something we don't talk about is establishing the learner's expectations of us. What do they want out of their educator and how do they best learn? D is for diagnose the learner. This is also done up front. Take what information you have gathered from the educational team and other preceptors to get an understanding of how that rotator functions. What are their weak points you want to work on? This will improve your efficiency in training as you will focus your time and energy on what they need to work on and avoid only teaching to their strengths. And this gives you a plan to work on for the whole day. S is for setup. And this is another important aspect that often gets missed. The purpose is, before you send the learner out to see a patient, establish your expectations for that individual patient. How do you want the presentation to go? I am going to stop you there and plug for our upcoming podcast episode, I am the OA. I mean, uh, AO, that is assessment-oriented presentation. Jeremy is nothing but a company man. Did I mention that we started a podcast called Plumcast? Yes, you did. If you don't mind, I'll continue. Oh, please go ahead. How much time should they take? What are some potential teaching points for that patient? This allows them to focus on the aspect of the patient you want to talk about and be ready to take full advantage of their education time. So T is for teach. You should plan on one minute to 90 second targeted teaching points based on each patient. And like we said earlier, I think that you'll be amazed at how much these teaching sessions build up throughout the day if you don't have time set aside for a whole hour lecture or if you are too busy to actually get to that hour long lecture. There's also some good literature on spaced repetition, and I think this adds to that concept. Don't feel the need to teach them everything about that patient's diagnosis. Give them one main takeaway point about that patient. The whole reason bedside teaching works is because they now have a patient to tie the concept you just educated them about. This makes it much more powerful than classroom learning for clinicians. We routinely make the mistake that knowledge sharing is like a computer, right? Drag and drop information onto their mental hard drive. But 
This isn't the case. The mind is really complex and has to build constructs related to each disease state and each medical concept. So again, seeing patients and having those targeted education sessions helps the junior learner create those constructs that last forever. Another concept Sherbino touched on in the workshop was tagged teaching. Mention to the learner that you're going to teach, even if it's in the midst of a larger conversation. This gets their mind in the correct mode to learn and receive knowledge. You're it. No, you're it. Jeremy? You're it. Jeremy? Guys, Jeremy's over here envisioning people running around the hospital playing tag. Ah, sometimes we just need some levity in the ICU. Sorry, guys. I'm back. <clears throat> so the A stands for assess and feedback. I think a lot of our growing educators are getting good at a lot of this, but I see many people struggle with this piece, giving feedback to the learner in real time. Too often in the back of their mind, they know they should do it, but it's uncomfortable, so they leave it up to those in charge of the education program. The downside of this is that your learners can go a long time without getting real feedback. We've had more emphasis on real-time, really tangible feedback, and we've seen it make a difference. When educators call me to give an update on how our learners are doing, one of the questions I always ask is, did you give them that feedback? And more frequently than not, the answer is no. I can tell when an educator is growing when that answer more frequently becomes yes. As an educator, you have the license to give your learner feedback in real time, and don't wait for a leader or a higher-up to do it. The more shifts a rotator goes through without feedback, they're going to end up making the same mistakes that you noticed because nobody else is going to point them out either. So I think the big question that we might all have at this point is, how do we give this feedback? Is it five positives for every negative? Is it a compliment sandwich? Do we just tell them that they're dumb? This is a daunting task for new educators, but I encourage you to practice it every shift you have a learner. Give them feedback and gradually you will get better at it. The key concept is, again, tagging the conversation. So you can start with, let me coach you on this, or let me give you some feedback. Make the feedback specific and link to example you observed. Don't make it too broad, like, hey, John, your presentations suck. Thanks, Jeremy. That makes me feel bad. <laughs> but maybe I could turn that into... Hey, John, your last presentation was too long and detailed. You lost me by the time that you got to the important stuff. To fix it, you could be upfront about what you need to say and fill in the story. Yes, give the learner something actionable so they can perform better next time. So, for example, hey, here's an article on presentations, and you're going to present every single patient that you see for the rest of the week. In general, as a group, we have gotten very good at giving constructive feedback to learners, Although I'd argue the veteran educators are doing most of that and it hasn't yet trickled down to the whole team. That being said, we should take steps to avoid giving exclusively negative feedback, but we shouldn't dance around the subject either. We think about this like Jack Welch, the famous GE CEO who runs a great business podcast called WelchCast. He talks about candor. You want to be open and honest with your reports or learners in our case. He talks about sitting them down and telling them what they are doing well and what they need to work on. I really like this approach. No fluff, no five compliments before the reason they are there, just open and honest feedback, good or bad. Yeah, the business world throws around this five positive for one negative kind of a lot. Yes, they do. For a while, I didn't believe in that for medicine, especially considering how poorly the compliment sandwich works. I 
like sandwiches. So what's the deal with the compliment sandwich? Some people call it the sandwich. The what? The sandwich. Sorry, dude. I can't hear your potty mouth over the sound of our sensor. Well, you're the one who installed it. Basically, once your learner is trained to expect the compliment sandwich, they won't listen to the first compliment waiting on the big negative. And then they'll focus on that negative and not hear your final positive. We remember the negative stuff far more than the positive feedback. So I guess with that in mind, the general concept behind the five positives to one negative isn't to vomit five positives on someone before you give them constructive criticism. It's to actively be encouraging them and others on your team all the time to sort of create this culture of positivity. Once you do need to tell them something constructive, they might be more open to receive it. We got long-winded there, but the last letter in ED stat is teacher always. And the point here is to model best practices to our learners. This is something I really try to remember, but man, is it difficult. Yeah, it really is. So if a learner sees their educator cutting corners, the first thing that they're going to do when they're out of training is cut corners. That's so true. Remember, the powerful teaching you do requires no words, and we need to be conscious about practicing how we want our learners to practice. Be the person you want your learners to be. That sounds like it needs to be a motivational poster with a stock photo. Well, we've talked long enough about bedside education. Let's get to the summary. Something I talked to our new educators about when bringing this up is the first step to being a good educator is just to make it a priority. It isn't something you can stop doing each shift when it gets busy. They'll never get enough training if we wait until the day has slowed down and admissions stop rolling in. So make training and education a priority. But... Make it short and repeatable. The one-minute model achieves this. Use a mnemonic like the five-minute micro-skills or ED stat. But essentially, you want to get a commitment out of your learner. You want them to give you supporting evidence and support their claim. You want to give them feedback on how they did. And you want to pick one part of a patient or a medical concept that is relevant to what's being seen at the bedside and teach them on it for one minute or 90 seconds. And then you move on to the next patient. And before you know it, you're going to have a full shift worth of teaching points. Do you want to mention the newest Twitter hashtag? Do I? So Michelle Lin at Academic Life in Emergency Medicine, or AEM, started a hashtag, hashtag Post-It Pearls, to highlight our bedside educators. The concept is that you write your one-minute teaching session down on a Post-It note, and you can hang these up for the learner or for the rest of the group. You can share them on social media and continue to put the highlight back on bedside teaching. I'm still happy I beat you to tweeting it out. We've linked a few examples in the show notes. I'm not happy. I'm uh, honestly a little bit bitter about that. And I bought 150 sticky notes and stuck them in the office so I can catch up to you. <laughs> we would absolutely love it if someone in our group or others tweeted out their post-it pearls and tagged us. Really, y'all don't understand how happy that would make me. It would make my week. Um, all right. Can we end on some Osler quotes? Those are always epic. Sure. I found some I thought you'd like. All right. We got to make sure to use the Osler voice. While medicine is to be your vocation or calling, see to it that you also have an avocation, some intellectual pastime, which may serve to keep you in touch with the world of art, of science, or of letters. But whatever you do, take neither yourselves nor your fellow creatures too seriously. There is tragedy enough in our daily routine, but there is room, too, for a keen sense of the absurdities and incongruities of life. One finger in the throat, and one in the rectum makes a good diagnostician. Did he really say that? It was in the long list of Osler quotes <laughs> I looked at. By far the most dangerous foe we have to fight is apathy. Indifference from whatever cause, 
not from a lack of knowledge, but from carelessness, from absorption in other pursuits, from a contempt bred of self-satisfaction. The greater the ignorance, the greater the dogmatism. There are only two sorts of doctors, those who practice with their brains and those who practice with their tongues. The very first step toward success in any occupation is to become interested in it. Well, y'all, thank you so much for tuning in to our Train the Trainer series. Expect more and expect to continue to develop your skills in medical education. Until next time, keep breathing, keep streaming, and keep reading.